It's great to be with you this morning as we gather together to worship in North Texas on uh, another Sunday where you never know what the weather's going to do, right? And uh, welcome to spring today. Isn't that right? Uh, it's a privilege to have this time and, and um, this song, this great song, Waymaker, is about the God that we love. God knows how to make a way when, there's an old song, God knows how to make a way when there seems there is no way, Right? And, and that's part of the beauty and glory of God. That's why we've gathered together to worship. That's why we come together in this place on Sunday mornings, because God is our way maker. Amen? amen. And amen. Well, today we're beginning a series that's called My Story, and it's not, well, let me put it this way. It's not about my story. Well, it is about my story, but it's about your story, too. It's about our stories. It's about our stories of life. And, and one of the things that I know is that uh, if you came to our church and you were new and you wanted to find something out about our church, you would sit down with somebody in the church and you would talk to them. You might call and, and maybe you and I'd go have coffee. And part of what we would do when we were having coffee is, is I would ask you to tell me about your story and, and think about the things that your story would include. You know, if I said, well, tell me about yourself. Well, I was born in Tucson and I was raised in the desert. I had great mom and dad. I have three sisters. I was abused by my three sisters my whole entire life. Still to today, I'm abused by them. Uh, and, and I would talk about where, what, I went to, what I did in school. I would talk about college. I would talk about after college. I would talk about seminary. I'd talk about Mary and Chrissy. Let the church say amen. Best decision I ever made next to Jesus. Amen. And uh, then I would talk about my, our, our boys and our grandkids. Well, I would tell you a lot. If, if we were sitting having coffee, I would tell you my story. And my story is unique. Your story is unique, too. You have the same kind of story. It, it's about the details of your life. But here's the thing. If you really want to know somebody, you've got to know something about their story. You don't really know anybody until you know their story, about what they've been through, about where they've been, about the struggles of their lives. It begins to help us appreciate one another, and we begin to relate with each other because we have similar challenges in our own lives that kind of weaves us together. But again, if you really want to know me, if I really want to know you, I've got to know your story, just like you've got to know my story as well. And, oh, by the way, uh, as we think about my story, we think about your story, part of what I want you to think about this morning is that if you consider yourself a Christian, meaning if you say, I am a follower of Jesus, then the story about your becoming a follower of Jesus should be something that's layered on top of the rest of your story. Because if you were to ask me about my story, and, I, and you were to ask me, maybe tell me about some of the most important people in your life, I would talk about Chrissy, I would talk about my parents, I would talk about my sisters, I would talk about my boys, all those kinds of things. But, but I would have to get to the place eventually, wouldn't I, uh, of, of saying, the most important person in my life is Jesus. And so for today and for the next couple of weeks, I want to talk to you about the importance and priority of telling your story. And, 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 and let's make no bones about it, part of the reason you and I, the church, have got to be telling our stories is because we're living in a society that is increasingly uh, hostile towards Christians in general and the church 
in general. And, 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 and it's, it's very unlikely that somebody is just going to stumble in these doors on a Sunday morning and say, I'm going to go check it out without somebody inviting them to come and be here. Because somebody inviting somebody else to come and be here is the finest way that anybody ever comes to faith in Christ because they begin to learn about your story. I'm telling you, my story, and as I tell you my story, I begin to reveal things about myself, and that draws you to me, and we begin to have this relationship, and then I get the chance to share with you what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And in this society that we're living in, with antagonism uh, growing around us against Christianity, it's really that much more important that you and I make sure that we know how to tell our stories. Because you, you could say to them, man, the lead pastor at our church is just amazing. you got to come hear him. But that's likely not going to impress them. In fact, the thing that would impress them more is if you take the time to sit down with them and have coffee and ask them about their story and they ask you about your story, that's probably going to impress them far much more than coming to hear any preacher. Your story has more potential impact than anything that I would ever say. Because you have a unique story and you begin to relate with people about the story that you've been given. And, and, and Paul said it wonderfully. In 1 Peter 3.15 it says, If someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. If someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. And one of the challenges that the church has is that for too long the church has been, been duped into thinking that the people that are on staff at the church are the ones that should be doing all the work. They're the ones that should be doing all the ministry, and that couldn't be farther from the truth. The ones that are supposed to be engaged in ministry is not just the staff. It's every single one of us. It's a full-time job to live as a Christian, a Christ follower, and you have a story that is unique to you that needs to be told. Your story is about your life and about where you've been and about your travels and about what's accomplished in your life, but it also has a layer on it if you are, if you would say, I am a Christ follower, there's a layer that has got to be added to that that speaks about the person of Jesus. And so for today and for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about your story, my story, as we think about the importance of being able to tell our stories to people that are around us. I, uh, as, an, as evidence of this idea of antagonism against the church, I was talking with a gentleman in our church last Sunday who said he was up in Portland, went to a meeting up in Portland. There were 250 people in the room uh, at, at this meeting. And, and I, I may not get it exactly straight, but as my memory recalls it, he, he said that the, the room's filled with people and they invited some chaplain to come in to begin the meeting, and, and the chaplain said something like this, because I know most of you are from Portland, I'm not going to pray right now. Think about that for a moment. He decided not, he wasn't going to pray because he knew that the room was filled with people who did not believe there is even a God. That's just a witness to the kind of craziness that's going on around us. So I want you today to think about your story and about telling your story. What would be the elements of your story? If you sat down with, to have coffee with somebody, what would you say to them when you're having that coffee? And, and how would you weave into your story who Jesus is to you? 
last week we had so much fun on Football Sunday, and the, the videos that we saw on Football Sunday were all about these NFL players telling their stories. And so our worship team, as we met and talked about today, we talked about how impactful those stories are, and so we're going to use them today and for the next couple of weeks also to help us think about, again, about telling our stories. And then the first video that we're going to watch is from the cornerback from the Chicago Bears, Prince Amakumara. Say that fast three times, Prince Amakumara. And he's going to tell some of his story. Just listen to how casual he is in telling his story. Let's watch for a moment. My upbringing around faith and, and, and around religion, both of my parents really loved God and, and, and served God. But for some reason, one thing that I pulled from that was, was rules and obedience. And so I thought, okay, as long as I'm a good person, I'd be able to get into heaven. But it was working. Everyone thought, oh, Prince is the good kid. And, and, and that, was my, that was my reputation. Prince was a good guy. And to be honest, I kind of I liked it. And I, and I, took, I took pride in it also. When I got into high school and I had friends around music, now they were my comparison, they were my standard. So as long as I'm not doing what they're doing, as long as I'm being better than them, in my eyes, then I'm still in right standing with God. Well, I hope that uh, you just kind of felt the ease with which he was sharing some of his story and about the, 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 the way that when you're telling your story, it ought to be just a simple kind of a thing where you're sitting across from a friend talking to them about your life and where your life has been. Uh, one of the things that I know that it's interesting about his story is something that relates to all of our stories, and that is that uh, telling your story sometimes is challenging. I love the way the Quakers have long used a couple of questions. They use four questions uh, to help engage people in telling their story. In fact, if you were uh, in a Quaker meeting and you had never met any of those people in the room, they might ask you to tell the answer to the four traditional Quaker questions. The four Quaker questions are, where did you live when you're between the ages of 7 and 12, and what was a fond memory of that time in your life? That was the first question. The second question was, uh, how was your home heated when you were growing up? The third question was, who or what was the place or person of warmth in your growing up years? And then the last question is the coup de grace of it all, I believe, because the last question is, when did Jesus become more than a name to you? And, and I love that question in particular, but all of them are, are good because they're, they're, they get people talking about life. In fact, I've used it many times in groups that I've led over the years, the, those Quaker questions, because it's really amazing what people begin to reveal about themselves, that they talk about their childhood and where they lived and, and all that kind of thing. But the question that is the most important one is, when did Jesus become more than a name to you? And you get what it's asking, right? It's asking you if, whether or not you have ever uh, allowed Jesus become more, to become more than just a name to you. I would say to you that, that uh, as I grew up, I grew up in the life of the church, and I, I went to Sunday school. I had all those teachers that poured into me over the years, and I, I could answer a lot of questions about who Jesus was. I could talk about Jesus, and I, I, was, I was the church kid, right? 
And when I got into high school, the youth director, Tim, my youth director, Tim Brooks, I've told this many times, but he took his big fat finger and started poking me in the chest and saying, Frank, I don't want to hear about what Jesus is to somebody else. I want to hear who Jesus is to you. What do you believe about Jesus? And that's really trying to get to that question. When did Jesus become more than a name to you? When did Jesus become more than a name to you? So I want to invite you now to turn your attention back to the screen. Let's watch a second video from Prince Amukamara and hear him tell about when Jesus became more than a name. Let's listen. At this camp, 500 kids. It's co-ed, boys and girls, about 12 different sports. There's college coaches there, so I'm thinking, okay, I'm here to showcase my talent and hopefully get on the radar to, to get a, a football scholarship. Each kid had um, their own group. In the group, we were doing Bible studies, and we would break break the huddle, and we would do prayer. And one of the phrases we were saying was, like, for his glory, and I'm thinking, like, like for who, who, whose glory? Like, who's his? I still was kind of on the fence, but they played a clip with uh, Christ with, with car carrying the cross and people whipping him and spitting at him and wearing the crown of thorns and blood is on his face. And I'm thinking like, wow, like he did this for me. So it wasn't until I got into college I met with the, the team chaplain, and he took me and a number of guys under his wings. We started to go through books, and he, he taught us the word. We, we studied the word, and we ended up spreading the word, share, sharing, sharing our testimony. High school stage, I was a believer. College is when I became a follower and when I started to walk, and when I was able and learned how to give an account for what I believed in. He phrased it a different way, didn't he, right? He talked about when I was in high school, I was a believer, but then when I got to college, I became a, a follower. That's another way of asking or stating when Jesus became more than a name. When did Jesus become more than a name to you? And let me just, let me be a little pushy with you this morning and say that if, if you can't say that Jesus ever became more than a name for me, then maybe you haven't even made a decision to become a follower of Jesus. Because if you truly are a follower, you know here that Jesus is more than a name. Prince of Mukumara said that when he was high school, he believed, but then when he got to college, he began to follow. Jesus has got to get into your heart. Out of your head, or not just out of your head, but it's got to be in your head, and, and it's got to move to your heart. Because being a follower of Jesus means that we're using our heads, but we're also using our hearts. Following means loving with a heart. Think about the people that you love. Think about what you would do for the people that you love. And the reason that you would do pretty much anything for the people that you love is because they have your heart. You love them with your heart. And, and Prince reminds us about the difference between believing and following, that 
you got to get the head knowledge filtered into your heart in order for you to really understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, if I were to talk about my story, as I mentioned earlier, part of what I would need to say is that I would begin to salt in, sprinkle in little bits and pieces about my journey of faith. I was raised in the church. I got into high school. I had this youth director with a big finger and thumped me on the chest. And, and, and then I began to actually follow Jesus and not just have this lip knowledge or head knowledge about Jesus. You have a story to tell, a story about your life. How would you layer on that story your relationship with Jesus? It is absolutely a critical thing for you and I to wrestle with because of what's going on in our society around us, because the power of you and you sharing the Word of God in the lives of the people that you meet and speak to day in, day out, that power is far greater than any power that any of us could have on our own. It's the power of the body of Christ. And, and as an illustration, I want to share with you a little bit of, of Paul's, the Apostle Paul's testimony this morning uh, about his life. He's going to talk a little bit about his story, and he's going to layer on it what Jesus means to him. Listen to what he says in 1 Timothy 1, verses 12 through 19. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength because he considered me faithful. So he appointed me to ministry, even though I used to speak against him, attack his people, and I was proud. But I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance without faith. Our Lord's favor poured all over me, along with the faithfulness and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is reliable and deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners. And I'm the biggest sinner of all. But this is why I was shown mercy, so that Christ Jesus could show his endless patience to me, first of all. So I'm an example for those who are going to believe in him for eternal life. Now to the king of the ages, to the immortal, invisible, and only God, may honor and glory be given to him forever and always. Amen. And he goes on in verse 18 to say, Timothy, my child, I'm giving you these instructions based on the prophecies that were once made about you. So if you follow them, you can wage a good war because you have faith and a good conscience. Let the church say amen. Paul, the apostle speaks with boldness about his own life and weaves into his speaking about his own life the story of Jesus. He, he thanks Jesus. He says, even though I used to speak against him, attack his people, he wants us to know that he thanks God that God loved him anyway. If you were to think about your own life and your qualifications to be in relationship with God, what would you list as your qualifications to be in relationship with God? I submit to you this morning that, that the list of qualifications that any of us could put on a piece of paper that says, this qualifies me to have a relationship with God, it would be a very small list, a very short list. In fact, I think my paper would just be blank. I don't really have any qualifications to have a relationship with God. But that's why God sent Jesus, because when we invite Jesus in, we become qualified to have a relationship with God. We, we, we are given that relationship with God by inviting Jesus to be the Lord of our lives. And he says, 
you're chosen too. Did you know that about God? Some of you here today, or maybe some of you watching at home, are feeling so bad about yourselves, you feel like you've done all these horrible, horrible things, and that God would never forgive you of those things. Let's be clear. God will forgive you of those things if you would just ask. I shared several weeks ago about a prayer meeting that I was at, and, and I went to the prayer person, and I said, how could, how could God forgive me? And he said, how dare you think that there is anything that you could do that God wouldn't forgive you of if you would just ask? So if you're hesitant today about this God, maybe you're curious about this God, and maybe you're feeling condemned right now because you don't feel worthy to, to be on any kind of relationship with God because of the bad stuff you've done. You need to understand that God doesn't care about that. God cares about the now, the present, and God will forgive you of everything that you've ever done. Even if you are a murderer of people, please understand. A murderer receives forgiveness from God because they would ask. Oh, they still have a lot to deal with in society and the laws of our society. But as far as their relationship with God goes, God's going to forgive them because that's all that God says is if you just ask, I will forgive you of your sin. I will make you my child if you would just ask. Paul says, you have been called to ministry. It's not me that's just called to ministry. Every single one of you is called to ministry. Too often in the church, people begin to think that the, the work of the church is supposed to be done by the staff and the rest of us are just supposed to be nice observers. Well, that's the recipe for destruction of a church, my friends. The church has got to be people, you and me, engaged together in helping people know that Jesus saved them, that he's changed their lives. And Paul celebrates that you have been chosen and that you have trusted Christ. He also makes it clear that it was God who did the work. He says, Our Lord's favor poured all over me along with the faithfulness and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul is, is not saying, look what I did. Look how great I am. Paul is saying, look what God did in me. A great persecutor of Christians. A man who loved to see Christians die. If God could do that in me, Paul says to us, what could he do in you if you would just trust him? He is empowered to do the work of God. It's not about what God has done in me. It's about or what I did, what I can do on my own. It's about what God can do in me. One of my favorite passages that, that rises up in my life fairly frequently is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, from Philippians Chapter 4, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When I struggle, when I wrestle with life, it's one of the passages that, that God just plants in my heart and mind to remind me that there's nothing that I can't overcome with the power of God living in me. There's nothing that you cannot overcome if you would just allow the power of God to be revealed in your life and heart. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And maybe there are some here today or maybe some watching at home today who are struggling, who feel like they're in an incredible fight. You need to know that there is nothing that you can't overcome 
with Christ in you. Because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. So it's about my story. It's about your story. And your story and my story has to do with our life experiences, with the people that we've been involved with, and it has to do with when Jesus became more than a name. When did Jesus become more than a name for you? It's a story about moving from being a believer to a follower. And and let's be clear, Paul says that it was God who saved him. He says, our Lord's favor poured all over me. But you need to also understand, and especially those of you who may be new to the church or maybe who have tuned in today and are watching for the first time because you're wanting to explore this church stuff, God, the creator of the universe, loved you and me so much that he sent his one and only son to die for us so that we might have life. And the only thing that is required of us, a reminder comes from Matthew chapter 18. Jesus tells the listeners, he says, unless you turn, unless you turn and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. And it's a reminder to us, this verb turn is something that we have to act on. You have to begin to turn away from the things that are destroying your life and turn toward the power of God. Jesus said, unless you turn, unless you decide your life is going to be directed toward God and away from things that would destroy you, your life will never experience the true joy that God wants you to have. So I want to invite you, if you're here today or maybe watching at home, to ask you the question, when did Jesus become more than a name to you? And if he hasn't become more than a name to you, to ask yourself, why not make Jesus more than a name today? Why not today invite Jesus to be the Lord of your life? Why, Why don't you get him out of just being in your head and into your heart today, right now? Get off the fence and get on with the life that God wants for you by allowing Jesus to be Lord of your life. Why not make that decision today? It's the finest decision you can ever make in your entire life. I've said it a thousand times. I've said it 10,000 times. I'll say it maybe another 10,000 times in my life before my life is done on this side of heaven that there is no more important decision you can ever make in your life. Please don't hear it as though I'm saying, oh, I've heard Frank say that before. No, it's what the Bible says. You cannot experience the fullness of life that God wants for you until You get right with Jesus, and that means making him the Lord of your life. That means not just believing in him, but following him as well. Everybody has a story. You have a story. If we were to sit down and talk, I would hope that as we talked over coffee and I asked you, tell me about your journey of faith, that you would begin to layer on that the story of how you eventually came to the place where you made a decision to become a follower of Jesus, not just a believer in Jesus. I believe that there is someone in your world that needs to hear your story. There's a neighbor of yours. There's somebody in your family. There's somebody that you work with. Somebody that is in your world, even right now, that needs to hear your story. 
And, and let's be clear, part of this whole conversation about my story and telling your story is, is, is that we have to begin to learn in, in new ways how to approach people with our stories without taking out the Bible and whacking them upside the head and saying, hey, do you know Jesus? Because that is not an effective tool to help people know Jesus. The way that you introduce people to Jesus is by beginning a relationship with them and through that relationship, begin to have the opportunity to tell your story because they would ask you your story. Remember, it says in 1 Peter, be always ready to tell your story, to tell somebody about the hope that you have as a believer. Well, we're going to hear now uh, again from Prince Amukamara, uh, the last part of his story, and I want to invite you to listen again as we hear from him how he feels about Jesus as we wrap up this uh, message today. Let's watch and listen. There's nothing you can do to get God to love you more than he does right now or to get God to love you less. He, like, he wants a relationship with you. When Jesus was at the cross, like, he knew that he was buying broken, prideful, selfish, sinful beings like us, and that should give us hope. The fact that a perfect God would want something so broken should tell us, like, how purposeful we are and how valuable we are. His last words, how valuable you are. How valuable you are. Jesus got up on a cross a little over 2,000 years ago. And on that cross, in his mind and in his heart, was your name. I, I, I want, you to, I want you to do me a favor, and on the count of three, I want you to say your full name. I, not just your first name, not just your last name, your middle name. On the count of three, I want everybody to say it aloud. One, two, three. Frank Winfield Briggs. That name. That name was in his heart the day that he died. He died for you. Because he wanted someday for you to know that his name is not just any name. That his name is the name Messiah, the name Redeemer, the name Forgiver, the name Healer, the name King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Lord of Life. That's his name. And he knows your name. And he died so that you would know the name of the one who can give you life. It is our prayer today that you would remember the power of your story and that part of that story has got to be about when Jesus became more than a name. Because he called you by name. Let's pray together. Holy God, we are humbled to think 
that you called our name. There's billions of people in the world. Why would you call my name? But you did, and you do, because you created this world and you created me. You created us because you want to be in relationship with us. But you made it clear to us, God, we have to choose you. You don't force yourself on us. You don't manipulate us. You simply ask, could I have your heart? God, we pray this day for anyone in this room who is opening their heart to you today. We pray that there would be great rejoicing, not only in their life, but God, we know that there is rejoicing in heaven, even right now over that one. became a follower and not just a believer. Lord, as we prepare to take Holy Communion in just a moment, Lord, let us remember that Jesus' death on the cross is a gift to us and that we should be joy-filled every day because of what He has done. As we come for communion this morning, God, may you be glorified in this time. We come to give ourselves to you again today by celebrating the gift that you've given to us in Jesus. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.